0: Uh, You might have to move in a little bit closer today so we make sure that we make room, right? Because we're a little bit down attendance-wise. You guys are awesome. You guys are the Marines. You guys got out your driveways alive. Awesome. Good job. Bang your hands together for you. Okay. Uh, A couple of announcements. If you are a visitor here today, when you came in the glass doors, there's like a pallet wall in front of you. That pallet wall's got all kinds of information about our church. There's youth stuff and children's ministry stuff, connect groups, which we'll be talking about today, kind of a whole slew of information so you can get to know us a little bit better. Um, a couple other things, we uh, have these out there as well, it says Get Connected, so we have connect groups. Uh, we were talking about throughout the series, one another, that there are some things that we can do. When we all get together in this room, but there are some things in living out this kind of Christian life experience that we can't do in a big room like this, we need to be in smaller groups. And so whether you join a ministry team or whether you join a connect group, um, there's opportunities for you to enjoy some of the fun of Christianity that's available to you no other way. There's other cards out there that says excited to serve. And so if you're new here, one of the best things you can do is jump into our guest services team. You can be an usher, you can be a greeter. Um, you can get to know people that way. Sound good? All right. So we're in a series called One Another, and throughout the series, we're basically talking about, so in following Jesus and kind of this whole blueprint for how he has us uh, to live life, uh, what does it mean to kind of be connected to one another? What What is that all about? So what I'm going to do here in just a second is I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask that you kind of pray with me. If you're not a believer, if you're just checking out the church today, just shut your eyes, kind of bow your heads, and uh, just follow along as best you can. Maybe reach out towards God. So let me pray. Father God, we come to you in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, and we would ask that you would teach us. Would you open up our hearts and our minds? That We might understand the way you've decreed things to be, designed things to be, what your blueprints are, what your plan is. And as we see the differential between the life that we're living and the life that you have for us, uh, would you give us the strength and the courage to step into the life that you have for us? We pray all these things in the name of Jesus the Christ and God's people said, Amen. Amen. Okay, so before we get to any scripture, one of the things I want you to do is I just want you to notice something. I want you to notice that there's all kinds of things that you can observe and then you can engage in some sort of way. What I mean by that is if you're driving your car and you see a car that's off to the side of the road, there's a tire messed up or something, you observe and then you know to engage in that. But one of the weird things about people is the world that we're living inside you don't necessarily know much about. So if you'll notice, whether you come to church or whether it's school or whether it's a job, and we say, how's it going? And they say, great, how's it going with you? And we go, great, and both people walk away going, other than my potential divorce and my budget falling apart, and I hate my boss, my kids are off the chain, and the list goes on and on and on. And it's just kind of weird. What happened to humanity? What happened... That we are so separated from one another. And what's God's design? Is God, you know, He could have put us all like on little islands and we all are just living our own experience out, but no, He's clumped us together and He's got some specific ways that He wants us to engage one another. So let me just jump right into some scriptures and we'll see what that looks like. Paul, writing to a church in Thessalonica, says this. He says, we urge you, brethren, brothers and sisters, basically, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, and then be patient with everybody. So let's break down some of these components. So there's this church, and Paul's kind of teaching them what it means to engage each other. One of the things that he says is there's these unruly people. What's an unruly person? It's a person that has no rules, okay? And it flows into all kinds of different parts in their life, okay? So I've got rules about, you know, my books being a certain way and things being neat and organized and clean. And then my children, they have no rules whatsoever, okay? I don't even know what the floor in their bedrooms look like. It could be carpet. It could be, you know, hardwood floors, but I don't know because it's covered in other stuff. My point is this, that's being unruly. And this idea of admonishment is that you see somebody that's unruly in some place in their life and you warn them that what will happen if you continue down this path is this consequence. So It's a, it's a nice thing, it's just a warning. If you're unruly with your finances, these bad consequences will eventually happen. If you're unruly and you're too flirtatious with people, but you're married, these are the bad consequences that will happen. If you're unruly and the list just goes on and on and on, these are the consequences. Now, we're going to get to some of these others, but I want you to start to think about when was the last time you admonished someone? When was the last time you warned someone? Let's clip along. Encourage the faint-hearted. Well, what are the faint-hearted? Well the faint hearted are basically people who don't have the emotional strength, the emotional courage to face something they need to face. Again, it may be they need to face their budget problem. They need to face the bully. They need to face their boss. They need to face something in life, but they're faint hearted. Their courage on its own is not going to be enough to face the challenges in their life. They need other people's courage to come into their lives, to bolster them and strengthen them to face something. And again, the question becomes something like this. When was the last time you encouraged somebody because their heart didn't have the strength to face something? Then the third one is help the weak. What are the weak? Well, people are weak in all sorts of different ways. You can be physically weak, you can be emotionally weak, you can be spiritually weak. You simply aren't strong yet in your character or in your self-discipline, and the list goes on and on. And you help these people, and you get them to the place of strength. Now, what's my point? My point is in taking these three, and then it kind of just, listen, be patient with everybody, it's a really interesting way to look at community. It means that, hey, in this room this morning, we don't know what's going on in everybody's life, right? We don't. We're going to have to break this community down into some sort of smaller components, whether it's a, a home group, a connect group, whether it's a ministry group. My point is you've got to break it down into some sort of smaller component where you feel safe to share where you're faint-hearted, where you're unruly, where you are weak, Now the question is, do you have that place? Is there any place where that exchange is going on? My argument at the end of all this is going to be something like this. You've got a destiny. God's got a purpose and a plan for your life. But you cannot complete it in just your own strength. And it's not just about being like walking in God's strength. That's fine and good. And knowing scripture and prayer is great. But it also means understanding that we're supposed to come alongside one another and that you won't fulfill all the components of what you could have fulfilled if you're not connected to other people. More than that, your connection to other people is going to help release them. Who's the last person that you admonished and thus saved them from blowing themselves up? Who's the last person that you encouraged so that they have the strength to actually face something they need to face in life? You'll notice that there's these two parts of the component. One is being vulnerable and transparent and open enough that people can see what's going on in your life and enter into it with patience and with love and with courage and compassion and all sorts of things. But then the other is you being courageous enough to step into other people's lives with encouragement and admonishment and the list goes on. It says this in Proverbs 27, 17. Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And what's the idea behind this? Well, Proverbs, the entire book, is all about basically young men, young women, young people being positioned in such ways to receive wisdom and maturity. And one of the things that it's talking about in this Proverbs passage is that men should be coming into other men's lives in such a way that they're sharpening one another. Sharpening their character, sharpening their self-discipline, sharpening their skills as a husband, as a father, and again, the list goes on and on. And the open question becomes something like this. When's the last time a male friend questioned you, sharpened you about your attitude at work or how you're pulling your weight as a husband or a father? When's the last time somebody stepped in and basically said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to kind of rub you the wrong way a little bit. That's what sharpening iron does. I'm going to rub you the wrong way a little bit, but I love you so much. I want your family to be so great. I want your kids to be so great. I want the testimony of God to be so great at your business that I'm willing to step in and challenge you. And again, what sort of relationship do you have to have with someone where you trust somebody to do that? I don't mean some mild criticism. I mean a man who steps up to the plate with another man and they sharpen one another. Or a woman who steps up to the plate with another woman and sharpens one another. Is that happening? What's the context for that? Now, I can tell you from my my own story, if you remove all the times that men have stepped into my life with accountability or stepped into my life with challenging me or teaching me something, if you remove all of those components, I'm nowhere near the man that I am now. If you pull all of those moments off, then my shallowness and my immaturity and my selfishness, unregulated, just gets to go wherever it wants. And so who I am, my potential, is in your hands. Now, obviously, we can't all be best friends, but you get the idea of that. You can look around this room. Each person's potential is in multiple people's hands. It says this in Proverbs 12, 25, anxiety in a man's heart, it weighs him down, but a good word makes it glad. And so there's this guy and he's driven by anxiety. He's flipped out about whether it's a job thing or a money thing or whatever the challenge is, but anxiety, fear is chewing him up. Have you ever gotten to the place where anxiety is so chewing on you that you're in paralysis? I just want to watch TV. I just want to be on the internet. I just want to whatever. But then it says that something happens. A good word makes him glad. Somebody snaps him out of this. He doesn't just snap himself out of it. God doesn't just snap him out of it. Somebody snaps him out of it by a good word. And again, what I'm asking you to do is start to thinking about When was the last time you delivered that to somebody and you helped pull them out of anxiety or fear or anger or the list goes on and on and on? When was the last time you deposited a good word in them that helped them out? But then also, when was the last time you were authentic and transparent with someone about your anxiety, about your fear, so that they know to step in with a good word? They know to pray for you. They know to encourage you. You know, all kidding aside, I, I, I've been married for a while. This is kind of a real old-fashioned joke, but um, Amy, I, I can't read your mind, right? You know, guys, we can't read our, our, our wives' minds. And so that becomes a joke. But here, here's the joke for guys. Guys, we can't read each other's woundedness. We got to tell somebody what's going on. And you may say, well, I'm, I, I, I've got it all together. Well, then quit coming on Sunday morning. If you've got it all together, there's no point, right? If you're here, you recognize there's something to work on. There's something either broken or not mature or not fixed. But instinctively, you should understand at a certain amount of time of coming on Sunday mornings, Sunday mornings is accomplishing something, but it's not accomplishing all of the transformation that you know God has for you. Which means you've got to position yourself in other ways. It says this in Colossians 4.8, Paul is writing to a church in Colossus, he's sending people around to different churches, Timothy and Titus and Epaphroditus and Silas, anyways, he says, I, I've sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know about our circumstances, the stuff Paul's going through, and that he may encourage your hearts, and here's an interesting question, so Paul says, I'm sending this person to you to encourage your hearts. Now, we believe around here the Bible's inspired, which means that basically, you know, God's very much a part of the whole writing of all of this, and God's very much a part of our lives, and the question becomes something like this, when was the last time God sent you on a mission to encourage somebody? For this purpose. You want to know why Timothy was sent, or Titus was sent to this church? They're sent on a mission. And so are you. There, there, there is no filler people in God's kingdom and God's story and God's plan. Each of you are dramatically significant. Each of you can do some things that nobody else in this room can do. There are people that you can talk to when you leave here today that I'll never get to talk to. There are people that will take your credibility seriously in ways they'll never take mine. There's ways of seeing things, there's hobbies that you have, there's all, my point is simply this, you've got all kinds of missions, but one of the most obvious things is just awakening to that reality. When was the last time you asked God, God, who do you want me to encourage? Who do you have me on a mission towards? You know, if you're looking for homework, I'd say you go through your Facebook friends page and you ask God, God, what do I say to this person? What do I say to this person? What do I say to this person? You look around at work. You look around at your neighbors. You look around at your family. What can I do? How can I position things? I'm going to have you watch a video clip here in a second. It comes from uh, Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring. And um, there's this guy named Frodo. Now, if you've never seen the movies, I'll just explain it real quick. Basically, Frodo's got to go destroy this ring. It's going to make everybody's lives a lot better if he gets rid of this ring. So, as he's going to do his jewelry return and burn it in fire, he is sent to fight all these evil, dark things and and make this thing happen. And so the the question becomes, because this movie is like a, a million movies, right? There's some guy and he's got some mission to do. Here's the difference. He won't make it alone. He won't make it alone. He needs at least two kinds of people involved. One is this mentor figure named Gandalf. He's the old wise wizard guy. And he's going to be the guy that basically says something that he's going to remember when he really gets discouraged and wants to give up there's this other guy whose name is Samwise Gamgee who's kind of the the sidekick to a degree but he's been been given the task of helping Frodo to encourage Frodo to be loyal to Frodo no matter what now why does this matter? it matters because I will bet pretty much everyone in this room a million dollars that your own self-discipline has not conquered everything that I'm going to fix my marriage and I'm going to get my budget and I'm going to get my attitude together and I'm going to overcome my addictions and maybe some of them but there's a whole bunch of them probably where you step in and you realize this is more than I can handle myself and this is why very much we have church we have fellowship we have one another God recognizes that And part of what we do, those of us that are like introverts, if you're at all like I am, is we sometimes go, God, I feel really low today, and I'm really discouraged today, and I just hate everything today, and I think I suck today, blah, blah, blah. Would you give me some encouragement? And it doesn't necessarily pop in. I don't hear an audible voice. There's no unicorn that comes up to the window and taps and goes, hey, good job. And so then the question becomes, oh, did God fail? No, 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 hear me, because this is really important. God didn't fail. If I wasn't authentic and transparent with my brothers and sisters in Christ about what's going on inside of myself, then I haven't positioned myself to get the encouragement that I needed because I sabotaged the system. I've got to be authentic. I've got to be transparent. I've got to be in a position with some people where they know what's going on. Then it's their job to kind of fulfill the obligation that God has for us to encourage and admonish one another. So anyways, in this clip, what I want you to kind of think through is kind of three parts. One is Gandalf. Who can you encourage and mentor and say something to that they're going to remember more than just today? Like every now and then, you need to say something that has weight to it into somebody's life and being open to that. The second part is Frodo. Frodo kind of gets delusional a little bit and thinks he can go handle all of this on his own. He tries to get rid of Sam. Do you need to maybe repent of you trying to figure this all out on your own? And then the third part is Sam. And so, you know, Frodo wants to get rid of Sam, and Sam's just like, you're not getting rid of me. There's no way. And maybe who do you need to be loyal to, even though they they say they don't need you, but they do. They say they don't need you, but they do. Because those are some of the impact points that I want you to think about as you step out a little bit later. So watch this video, and we'll come back and talk about it. I wish the ring had never come to me. I wish none of this had happened. So do all who live to see such times, but that is not for them to decide. All you have to decide is what to do with the time that is given to you. to Mordor alone. Of course you are. And I'm coming with you! You can't oh. swim! I promise, Mr. Frodo, I promise. Don't you leave him, Samwise Gamgee. And I don't mean to. I don't mean to. Oh, Sam. Oh. Sooner or later in life, you should be in all three positions. There should be, as you get older, times when it's, it's up to you to be Gandalf, to say something to somebody younger that they need to hear to help strengthen them, to help bring their unruliness into maturity. There's times when you need to be to be Frodo, and you need to basically cry and go, I'm broken and I can't make it, and you know, he delusionally thinks I'm going to go head out on his own, but what he's got to do is he's he's got to let Sam back in, you to let somebody in, because you can't make it on your own, and then there's a time to be Sam, when somebody says, I, I, I got this, I can do it on my own, I'm going to be fine, leave me alone, and you just go, that's not going to happen, that's not going to happen, I'm, I'm going to... Keep pestering you. Way back in Genesis, there's this, you know, quick, quick sort of comment. Am I my brother's keeper? And it's never, like, formally answered, but the answer is, yes, of course you are. That's, we're here to steward one another, to grow one another, to love one another, to show compassion to one another. All the things that Jesus did in the lives of people, he still wants to do, but he wants to do it through us. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, there's this chapter, and the whole chapter is basically addressing this miserly loner. You can think of Scrooge if you're back in December. And, and what it's trying to do is it's trying to talk to this person, because this is the default position for a lot of guys. I'm going to be on my own, and I'm going to figure it all out, and I don't need anybody. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10 says this, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. The second part is that if either one of them falls, the one will lift up his companion, but woe to the one who falls and there's nobody there to lift them up. So let me break it down. So two are better than one when they're doing labor. I don't know if you've ever, you know, done some physical labor and you you get exhausted and you're annoyed and you wish there was another set of hands there, but, you know, if somebody else is with you, Whether you're grading a ditch, whether you're putting up sheetrock, whatever you're doing, it can make the time go faster. Matter of fact, there's all kinds of industrials, you know, uh, scientific surveys where two people work together and the productivity level will go up compared to one person by themselves. When I was a, a plumber... Uh, a plumber's apprentice, never a plumber. Uh, you know, there's times you, you're putting in a sink and you've got to hold on to the top faucet and you got to connect things down below and, and the one and you're just like, ah, just, if I had another set of hands. Now, what's the point in all of this? Well, the point in all of this is that God, through the writer of Ecclesiastes, is basically saying your productivity in terms of your work is going to go up if you accept some help. Now, is that just about productivity in terms of farming or plumbing. No. The principle is going to go all the way through a whole bunch of different examples. It says if either one of them falls, one can lift up his companion. What kind of fall is he talking about? He's talking about a fall where you like break a leg or something. It's a fall that you can't get up by yourself. But again, I want you to think beyond the physical. It may be a fall that you've got you can't Get out of it by yourself. If you have PTSD, you're probably not going to be able to just self-manage all of it. If you've got an addiction, you're probably not going to self-manage all of it. You're going to have to admit you're broken and that you need somebody to help you up. It goes on, it says this in 4.11, Furthermore, if two lie down together, they can keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? And the idea of this is basically either working sort of third shift shepherd thing, and so it gets cold at night, and so you snuggle up next to somebody else, or if you're on a pilgrimage and you're trying to go someplace and you sleep at night and you don't want to freeze to death, so you cuddle up together, and if you'll notice as this passage is unfolding in Ecclesiastes, the writer of Ecclesiastes, and behind that's God, is saying, "You don't want to just freeze to death, do you? You need people. You don't want to fall down and just die and nobody know about it. You need people. You want to be productive in work, because that's part of how you get your meaning in life? You need people." It goes on in Ecclesiastes four times. 12 it says this and if one can overpower him who is alone two can resist him and a cord of three strands is not quickly torn apart I don't know if you know this about me but my judo and karate skills are zero (laughs) I could be mugged by a toddler what's my point my point is, he's talking about this guy, and he says, look, if somebody's going to attack you, one may overcome you, but if, if, but if you've got a buddy, you've got a sidekick, squad, you're in much better shape. Now, let me just say this. It's not just about the mugger. It's about the war. Satan opposes you. Demons oppose you. The dark forces of this planet oppose. Oppose you. And you can't just fight all of it on your own. You're supposed to be back to back with your brothers and sisters. And as cracks happen and as you get beat down, you need to be open and authentic and transparent about when you need healing and when you need to be strengthened, when you need to be sharpened. Do you get where all this is going? And Ecclesiastes is you won't survive, you won't thrive, you won't win the war, you're going to freeze to death, you're not going to be productive if you don't deeply engage one another. And I wish we could figure out a way to deeply engage everybody on Sunday morning. But that's not the way this thing works. You have to break it down into smaller components. And you have to be intentional. You can say, well, I got a buddy and I can tell them anything. Well, great. When's the last time you did? Uh... When's the last time you said something to your buddy that really mattered? And did you follow it up and did it have a plan and were you disciplined about it? And do you, do you ask regularly about their marriage and their finances and their this and their that? No, 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 I'm just kind of all over the map about things and he knows I'm there for... That, that doesn't accomplish anything. That's one of those excuses that we keep in the back of our mind in case anybody ever preaches a sermon like this. And then it says this in 1 Thessalonians 5.11. Therefore, encourage one another. Build up one another just as you also are doing. So he's writing to the Thessalonian church and they're already doing this. But he wants to make sure that it becomes a tradition and they get traction about it. And some people that are not doing this, he wants to make sure that they understand clearly this is a vital part of the Christian life. Encourage one another that that's normal that should be happening with as much regularity as is possible it's not encourage people twice a year okay just like we come regularly for worship and we come regularly to learn God's word we should be regularly positioning ourselves to encourage one another and deep breath if you're a dude Regularly positioning yourself to receive encouragement by being transparent and vulnerable. You're going to have to find the right people to do that with. We've talked about connect groups, ministry teams, but that's part of the equation. And this is to build up one another. So again, it becomes this kind of open question. Where do I regularly build into other Christians' lives? So that that's a habit that's Consistent. Why? Because I I can't have, you know, let's let's say I've got a coach for something that I'm trying to get better at in life. I can't just check in with that coach twice a year. I can't check in with that coach a couple of times a decade. If I want transformation, I have to do it all the time. I mean, all kidding aside, how many people in this room have gone to the gym once and then they were done because they hurt so much they never went back and they flushed 30 bucks down the toilet every month for a year? We all know that we didn't get buff that way. You have to go all the time. So what does it mean for you to be in the loop of encouragement and be in the loop of building up all the time? But then also the flip side for building up as well, where do you need to be open to where you need to be built up? Just as you were doing, it says. And the open question becomes, are you doing this? I've told you some ways that you can engage it, giving you some options for this church. My point is simply this. The greatness that God has planned for you, which I believe in 110% in my heart, the greatness that God has planned for you is sabotaged if you stay in isolation. The greatness that God has planned for others is sabotaged if you're not involved in their lives. Let me pray. Father God, we thank you that you gave us one another. We thank you that you told us some very specific things that we're supposed to do in one another's lives. And God, some of us have gotten cooked by people. Some of us are introverts. We've got all kinds of excuses. God, may your word and your spirit overcome our excuses. And may you pull us up to the light of hope. You want us in each other's lives. God, we know that. Would you give us the courage to take the steps that we need to take in order for that to happen? And all God's people said? Amen. Amen.